You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 126. On today's show, I chat with CPA Elton Lalage. We discuss the different types of retirement accounts for freelancers. Those types include IRAs, SEP IRAs, simple plans, defined benefit plans, and individual, solo, or uni 401ks. The second half of the discussion is about freelancers incorporating. We discuss LLCs, sole proprietorships, S-corps and C-corps, DBA, doing business as, multi-member versus single member, and K-1 tax forms and pass-through entities. And finally, we wrap up the episode dispelling some myths about artists using accountants to file taxes and what type of retirement accounts young artists should open. The episode is a bit longer than normal, and rather than pull part of it into a bonus episode, I've included the full discussion. If you want to skip the retirement account discussion and jump to the LLC part, skip to minute 39. My intro is also a bit longer, so if you want to skip to the episode, jump to minute four. This is our last episode of 2022. Thank you for being a part of the show. If it weren't for you listening, the show would just be me talking to myself. And while I don't get to interact with listeners, knowing you're here validates that there is certain value in these conversations and that I should continue to discuss these topics and learn how those in the entertainment industry can improve their finances. As it is the holidays, and that is the time that we remember our families, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see that my shirt says, Proud Navy Brother. That is because my sister Catherine was in the Navy for eight years. Now today she's not in the Navy, but is a veteran and is not spending the holidays with the family because she's overseas working as a military contractor. Catherine, I am proud of you, and I'm missing you this holiday season. And of course, I also have to mention that I have two Army veteran brothers, Jason, who did two tours in Afghanistan, and Daniel, who was in the Army but worked on boats, which, to my confusion, I was never sure if he was in the Army or the Navy. Now, Catherine, Jason, and Daniel, this episode is dedicated to you. I don't say it often enough, or ever, but I love you guys. But enough of this sentimental stuff, To you, listener, wherever you are, happy holidays, and here's to a great new year. And speaking of the new year, if you haven't listened to last week's episode with Theater Fit health coach Claudia Hodgson, please do. I've gotten a lot of great feedback about that episode, so if you've been putting off your health because you're busy, go take a listen to episode 125, Health and Fitness for Theater Professionals. If you listen... You'll no longer have the excuse, I work in the entertainment industry, so I can't work out and I can't eat healthy. You can work out and you can eat healthy. One more thing before we get to the interview. If you are enjoying listening to Artistic Finance and you would like to support me and the show, there are two easy ways to give back. One, pay our fee for listening, which is to tell someone about the show. And you can do that by sharing an episode on social media or sending a link to someone, and be sure to say why you listen or what you like about that specific episode. Now, the second way to help me out is to become a patron. Now, I'll talk more about that halfway through the show, but if you want to learn more about that, go to patreon.com slash artistic finance. Now, one note about this episode, I recorded it in a vestibule or that little area between doors when you're going in and out of theaters. 
Now you'll notice my audio is very echoey Now I did my best to enhance it, but when you hear the difference, that is why. And now without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, here with CPA Elton Lalage of Lalage CPA Group. Welcome to the show, Elton. Thank you for having me, Ethan. Now, Elton's in his office, but if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice I'm in this black void, and that's because I'm at New World Stages, where we're loading in the Yiddish Fiddler on the Roof, for which I'm the associate lighting designer. So today is day two of load-in, but hopefully hopefully none of that disturbs us. Um, so we're recording this on November 2nd, 2022. Let's bring in our guest, the one, the only, the person responsible for filing Nicole and my taxes since 2018, Elton Lalage. So Elton, first thing, all this time that we're spending here today, uh, that's not billable, right? It's not billable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I just wanted that on the record. No worries. You won't get a surprise invoice. <laughs> um all right. So first things first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice? Uh, sure. Uh, I've been uh, practicing uh, uh, accounting for about 20 years. We have a, a small you know, CPA firm in Astoria, about 15 people. Uh, we do have another office in, in, in Queens, in Ridgewood, and we're opening up another office in Manhattan. You know, we work with a lot of entertainment clients, a lot of uh, hospitality businesses, you know, construction contracting, professional practices, you know, doctors, attorneys. And we specialize in all kind of tax compliance filing matters. Now your creative personality. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? Uh, I do love uh, Broadway shows. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we went to see with my wife, The Book of Mormon. You know, I hadn't seen that. And, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, I do enjoy uh, sport events. You know, obviously, Knicks. I was in Europe uh, last month. We went to to Oktoberfest. We, we we watched a couple of uh, soccer games, and you know, and that was fun. Yeah, but obviously Broadway shows are a big thing in New York. So Book of Mormon. You saw the updated version because during COVID they sort of rewrote a little bit of it. Yeah, no, this was the yeah this was I guess the updated version. It was a lot of fun. It was a full audience, uh, sold out show. Uh, I'd heard great things about it. I'd never seen it, so you know, this was the chance and. Uh, it was a birthday gift. So <laughs> nice. it, it's amazing how many people like, cause that show has been around since 2012, 2010, somewhere in there. Anyway, like 10 years. And it's funny that this is the first time you've seen it, even though it's been running for so long. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a big software fan as well as I was at least. And, and, you know, I'd heard great things about it. So finally uh, I got to watch it. All right. Now your uh, financial personality, are you good or bad with money? Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm good, you know, but I think, I think in, in life, you know, you have to find a balance, you know, you don't want to be too frugal. You don't want to be, you know, overspending. So I think, you know, finding a balance between making sure that you spend money right. And, uh, but also budgeting for the future and investing, uh, smartly, you know, uh, but I would say <laughs> as far as I know, I would say I'm, I'm okay, you know, <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I think you're very good, or at least you know the laws well enough. So you fooled me into thinking you're really good with it. <laughs> okay, so today I want to talk about retirement accounts, but specifically for people who are self-employed or who are freelancers like myself. And there's something that I always say on the show is I'm a big fan of Roth IRAs. So I'm always saying if anybody's listening and they don't have an account, the first and easiest one to open is an IRA and specifically a Roth. But that's just me and my worldview. So I figure we should get somebody such as yourself in here to sort of explain what are all the options for retirement accounts for people that are freelancing and how we sort of determine which one is right for us. So... First question for you, what are the retirement account options for freelancers? Well, freelancers, you know, I mean, with freelancers, typically, you know, they can open up, obviously, as you said, Roth IRAs, you know, traditional IRAs, you know, there is SEP IRAs, simple IRAs, individual 401ks, or they also call them solo case or uni case. Uh, so they do have a lot of options. As you said, you know, Roth IRAs are a great option, especially when you are just starting your career, just because, you know, this is typically is a... Uh, post-tax money, and then it grows tax-free, you know, and you can retire it when you are, you know, 59 and a half. And it's a great option, especially because with our Roth IRAs, there's also income limitations, you know, basically, if your income is above a certain amount, you know, which typically, you know, as you uh, grow into your career, you know, chances are that obviously your income will grow as well. Uh, it's a great option, especially for, you know, startup artists and self-employed people. So there's IRA, which I guess I'll start as like the lowest tier. <laughs> And then there's a SEP IRA, which would be the next step up. There's something called a simple IRA. That's so basically, uh, they do have the you know traditional IRA and the Roth IRA, which you don't have to be self-employed for this. So basically, you could also uh, uh, be employed somewhere. And as long as your income is within a certain level, you can contribute to both. But obviously, they're a great option for self-employed individuals. Uh, in addition to SEP IRA, I mean, to traditional IRA and Roth IRA, which have uh, very low contribution limits. You know, typically it's six thousand dollars. Next year, I think it's going to be sixty-five hundred dollars. And you could split it between two. So basically, you can contribute to both traditional IRA and Roth IRA, as long as the limit or the contribution doesn't exceed the contribution limit for each year, you'd be fine. In addition to that, you know, the SEP IRA it's a great option. And what a SEP IRA is basically is the way that they calculate it is it's uh, it's typically twenty-five percent of the net profit. That you are showing from your business. So if you are, let's say, showing you know a hundred thousand dollars net income from your business, you could you'll be able to put away as much as eighteen thousand dollars or nineteen thousand dollars into your uh, SEP IRA. Simple IRAs are similar to 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 SEP IRAs. The uh, however, they do have a lower contribution limit. You know, it's thirteen thousand dollars or fourteen thousand dollars a year compared to let's say you know sixty one thousand dollars with a SEP IRA. So they tend to be attractive because they have lower administrative costs compared to Sapira. We'll need probably a proper plan document in order to have it. In addition to that, uh, lately, even though this has been around quite a while, the solo K or the individual 401k or uni K, you know, they, they, they call it different names. Uh, 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 this is a great option. And uh, what it is, is basically it's a combination of a Sapira, which is a profit sharing account and uh, a 401k. And it allows you to put away uh, much more money compared to Sapira on a much lower income. So let's say if you had $100,000 profit from your business, and typically with a Sapira, you'd be able to put away 
25%, but then there's another calculation that goes in, which limits the contribution to about $18,000. With a solo K or individual 401k, you'll be able to put away as much as $30,000 or $40,000, which is, you know, higher than, than the SEP IRA. And, you know, in years that, you know, you're having a lot of income, this would be a great option to, to, to minimize your tax liability. Okay. So, so the Roth, so the IRA, 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 I say IRA, you say IRA, <laughs> um, the traditional IRA or the Roth IRA that next year, 2023 will be limited to 6,500 that you Correct. can set aside. The simple will be limited to 13,000, 14,000, I believe 14,000. So if you want to save more than that, then your next goal would be a SEP IRA. And you were saying that's 25% of the income. So let's just say I got $100,000 worth of income, but I my expenses were 50000 So that knocks me down to 50000 of income. So then it would be 25% of that income? Correct. So the formula is 25% of the net profit from the business. Uh, however, because there is a small adjustment that goes in, that rate goes down to you know about 18 or 19% because they take a deduction for one half of the self, uh, self-employment tax. But the rate is 25%, which is, which is great, you know, which is a great option. It's, you know, it's a, it's a great deduction. It helps minimize the tax liability also for, you know, budgeting and investment purposes for the future and diversification options. It's a great thing. And is there like a a limit to the SEP IRA? So say you made a million dollars. Could you put in 25% of that? No. So it's limited to, uh, I believe it's $61,000 for 2022. I would have to check for that, but obviously these are all indexed every year for inflation. So they, they tend to go up every year uh, a little bit, but it's about 61. It, it, it is $61,000 for 2022. And then you were saying the individual 401k and solo 401k, those can be used in tandem with these other accounts? So the individual 401k, as I said, it has two components. There's the 401k component, which is the, defer, the, the, the deferred portion. And the, the profit sharing component, which is similar to the SEP IRA, you know, which is the 25%. So basically you start off with the 401k component, which is, you know, 20,500 for 2022 and uh, 22,500 for 2023. And then you add to that the profit sharing component, which is the 25% of the net income from the business. So if we take your example, let's say that you had $100,000 of sales and $50,000 of expenses leaving you with $50,000 of net income. With the SEP IRA, typically you would only be able to put away uh, 25% of the net income of the $50,000. However, with the individual 401k, you start off with the 22,500 for 2023, which would be the deferment portion, the 401k. And then you add then the 25% of the net income from the business. So basically, on a much lower income, you're able to put away a lot more contribution to your retirement plan. So that's why it's a great option. The thing with this is that, you know, uh, unlike with the SEP IRA, in which you can basically have employees and, you you know, obviously, if you have employees, then you also have to contribute to their uh, uh, plan if there is a profit sharing component. With the individual 401k, you cannot have employees. As the name says, you know, it has to be, you have to be the only employee of the business. Okay. So individual or solo 401k, you can be the only employee or you have to be the only employee. You have to be the only, but you can have that account. Plus you can also open up a SEP IRA at the same time. Uh, well, the individual 401k, as I said, it has the SEP IRA built in, so you cannot oh. have both. Correct. So, uh, but 
you could have also a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, typically in conjunction with a SEP IRA or simple IRA or individual 401k, you could have a traditional or Roth IRA component as long as you meet or you check the other boxes where your income is below a certain level or if you or your spouse has a covered is covered through another plan at work, then again, there is income uh, limitations on that as well. Got it. Okay. So I think I had the order backwards. So the lowest tier would really be the the traditional IRA. And then the simple IRA would be the next easiest thing to open. Correct. Because it seems like, you, can you open that um, if you're on W-2 income or is that only for 1099 income? No, you could open that. Uh, well, with a, with a simple IRA, your employer also has to be on board with that. So basically, it's a plan that is offered through your employer. So, so, if, so if you're a freelancer, simple is easy. If you're not a freelancer, then you would have to work with your employer to open that. Correct. Correct. Okay. Is that common for people to do? <laughs> no. So t- you don't uh, you don't necessarily re- see a simple IRS open uh, these days just because, you know, if somebody's opening up a plan, they tend to go for a SEP IRA uh, because the contribution limit is higher or uh, individual 401k if they have no employees. And, you know, in case they have a really good year, this would be a, a really good option to be, be able to defer a lot of the, 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 the income and also take a big deduction to minimize the tax liability. So then the SEP IRA... Do you have to be um, self-employed to open that up? Or Correct. You... You'd have to be self-employed to open it up. And then the same thing for the individual 401k, obviously. You can only do that for 1099 income. Correct. Only for 1099 income. You also mentioned profit sharing involved with the SEP and the individual. What does that mean? I don't quite understand. <laughs> because I'm looking at it as if I were to open this up on my own, not having other employees, who would the profit sharing be with? Just me, right? Just with yourself. But in case you have other employees and obviously there is vesting schedule and other components that go into it, then, you know, uh, you know, if you have other employees and you'd like to share uh, a portion of the profits of the company, also be a great idea, you know, to retain employees for the future. You could have, you could offer them basically, you know, this kind of a plan to, in order to, and you'd be able to share a, a portion of the profits and the percentage that you'd use for the profit sharing has to be the same across the board for everybody. But again, you know, if you are basically one self-employed individual, in this case, you know, even though it's called profit sharing, it's basically the 25% that we talked about, the maximum amount. And also with the SEP and the individual. So you said that the individual has the SEP built in. So if I were to go to the bank or somewhere online and open up one of these accounts, I guess it would be the best choice would be individual 401k, right? Because it already has the SEP. Correct. Assuming, correct. Assuming you have no employees, it'd be the great option. Just because it has both the deferred portion, the 401k part built in, which basically, which is what you would start with. And then on top of that, you can add the profit sharing component, you know, the 25% of the net income of business. And so would this be something like you open up the individual 401k, you send a portion of all your um, paychecks, you say, okay, you know, 10% of my money, every paycheck is going to go into my individual 401k. And then at the end of the year at tax time, maybe you figure out the SEP portion about with the 25%? Correct. So basically, and obviously, you know, typically these are a lot of these are done at the end of the year just because with self-employed individuals, you don't necessarily know how much income uh, you will have or how much the net income is going to be for the year. But let's say that you have been doing this for a long time and, you know, you have a recurring uh, stream of income and typically, you know, your income range for each year 
you know, you uh, with the individual 401k, you could uh, put away your uh, uh, 401k component, you know, let's say the 22500 And then at the end of the year, when you finalize the tax return and you know what your net income from the business is going to be, you can add the profit sharing part. All right. Sounds complicated, but also very simple. It's very simple. You know, the only issue with the individual 401 case, it used to be like this, but it changed the last couple of years, is that this kind of plans would have to have been set up before December, before on December 31st. Last couple of years with the new tax law, they changed that, and you could have opened up until October 15, which would be the extended deadline, or April 15, in case you didn't go on extension. So uh, again, it's a, they are a great option because they allow you to put away much more com- compared to, uh, to to SEP IRA on a lower income. All right. So talking about those deadlines, say it's next year and we're, it's 2023 and we're filing our 2022 taxes. Um, do those deadlines apply? Is it tax time is the deadline? So we can open up any of these accounts until tax time? Well, for traditional IRA and Roth IRA, deadline is April 15 and there is no extension. But for SEP IRAs and, as I said, individual 401ks and simple IRAs, you can open up these kind of plans until October 15th, assuming you are on extension. So October 15th is like the final, final deadline for businesses to file taxes? Uh, it's No. So October 15th is if you are an individual and you file an extension on April 15th, then the IRS grants you six months to, to, to file your return. And, you know, it's for wage earners and, uh, you know, uh, uh, self-employed individuals as well. Uh, but they do allow you to basically set up and fund these kind of plans, not IRAs, traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs, because deadline for those is April 15. But for the other plans, they do extend you. They do allow the extension until uh, 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 October 15. Okay. I, I promise I'm listening to you, but the simple, is it simple and IRAs that have the April 15th deadline? Traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs, April 15. All the other plans are October 15th. Got it. Got it. Okay. So only a traditional and Roth IRA has the April deadline. Okay. So if you're filing taxes, let's say normally, whatever that means, um, but by April 15th, you're good to go having just an IRA. But if you have any of these other accounts, you technically can file an extension and add in money for the previous year up until October 15th. Which is a great thing. Because basically you could buy you buy another six months, you know, in case you need uh, additional money for funding or whatever, you know, uh, it gives you another six months to come up with money to be, and you still get a deduction for the you know for the tax year that you filed an extension. Okay, so I'm just going to clarify those limits one more time. So for 2023, uh, an IRA, a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, you have a $6,500 limit that you can contribute, and that's combined. So assume that you. You can either do traditional IRA, Roth IRA 6,500, or in case you decide to split it, and some people do, combined, you can only contribute 6,500 between them. Got it. Okay. So if we get to April 15th and you're filing our taxes, you came to me as my accountant and said, oh, your tax bill is this, but if you put 2,000 into a traditional IRA, we could cut that off of your taxes. That's That's what I would do then. Correct. And sometimes, you know, basically... You could be on a tax bracket where basically, you know, by putting away only, let's say, $3,000 or $2,000, as you said, it brings it to, to a lower tax level. And, you know, in which case we'd say, yeah, it makes sense to put away only this into the traditional IRA. And then let's max out the, 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 the IRA by contributing to a Roth IRA for the remaining amount. All right. So then the simple IRA, which are not very common anymore, uh, but the limit there is 13000 it's for I, I believe fourteen thousand for two thousand twenty two. Okay, fourteen thousand for twenty twenty two. We have one guest on Lap Chi Chu. He has a simple IRA. 
but I think that's the only person I know that has one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anybody. <laughs> I'll introduce you to Lap sometime, just so you all can right. know someone. <laughs> Uh, all right like lap a unicorn <laughs> lap if you're listening you're the you're a, you're a special human being yeah your limit for 2023 is fourteen thousand. okay so then uh the next limit is the 401k the individual 401k or the solo 401k um, and this is the same if you're at a regular company and you have uh, a 401k it's the same limit which is 22500 correct so this is the again this is the 401k or deferred uh, component and then on top of that you can add the profit sharing component which which gets calculated as 25% of the net income of the business so the combined limit for the individual 401k is 61000 for tax year 2022 okay i understand so you could technically you could open a sep ira with a $61000 limit correct or you can open an individual 401k that automatically combines with SEP to give you up to 61000 Correct. But again, the great benefit with the individual 401k is that on a much lower income, you're able to put away much more compared to a SEP IRA because you start off with the 401k component, which is 22500 and then you add to that the profit sharing component. And the individual 401k, could some of your W-2 income go into contributing toward that? No. So basically, if you have a 401k through your employer, and let's say that you defer the full 22500 through the employer, and this could be, obviously, a lot of people do this because, you know, your employer could have a matching option, which is, you know, obviously, you don't take advantage of in case they do have that. So if you do uh, contribute the full maximum amount through your employer, then you cannot do the deferment portion through the individual 401k. You are only left with the, uh, with the profit sharing component. So basically, the combined amount, if you have another plan at work, which you contribute to, is the, still the 22500 uh, maximum amount. And you can only add to that for your self-employment income, the 25% profit sharing uh, part. Got it. Okay. So if you have an employee and you have 401k, you can do that, max out at 22500 and then you sort of have to open up a separate SEP IRA? Correct. Or you could keep your individual 401k, but just contribute the 25% of the net income from the business. I find this interesting because I once had an individual 401k and I closed it out, but I don't remember any of the SEP part of it. I didn't know this. I should have talked to you, Elton. <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, it's it's not not a lot. I mean, even when we uh, advise clients on opening some plans, you know, and you know, they go to their financial advisors. You know, some of the financial advisors are not necessarily familiar with these plans, uh, but it's a great vehicle, you know, especially for individuals who uh, are self-employed and they're going to have recurring income each year. They're not going to have necessarily employees, you know, during this period. And they want to put away a lot of money on not necessarily a lot of income. So they can maximize their, you know, their uh, retirement uh, contribution, you know, through this vehicle. So we've mentioned Roth and traditional a lot. Can you just give us an explanation of what the difference is between a traditional and a Roth account? So a Roth account is a post-tax, you know, basically you don't get a deduction for it, but you're able to take the distribution out. It grows tax-free. So when you retire and you take the money out, you're not taxed on it. And with a uh, traditional IRA, it's a pre-tax account. You do get the deduction in the year that you contribute, assuming that, you know, obviously you meet, you know, well, with traditional IRAs, there is no, if you're not covered at work or if your spouse is not covered at work, you know, uh, uh, contribution limits, you know, basically you can take the full deduction in the year that you contribute. But, you know, obviously if you, uh, when you take out the distribution, you know, once you hit the retirement age, 59 and a half, 
then you have to pay tax on those earnings. Okay. Actually, I was going to ask you that question. What age is the retirement? 59 and a half. But you don't have to start taking it out at 59 and a half. Obviously, you know, you can take it uh, later, but that's the starting age. That's just a good thing to know is that if we're putting money into a retirement account, we can't get it until 59 and a half. Correct. And, you know, you can take it earlier, but there is penalties. And, and assuming that you meet certain other criteria, may not, there might not be penalties, you know, but again, there is limitations and other calculations going to it. Well, I know there's um, oftentimes you can take a loan out for like a, a home or something. Correct. Or if you take it out, you know, for, for you know, a portion of it for, to, to buy a, for the first purchase of the house, then, you know, up to a certain amount, you know, you don't have to pay the penalty. And then, you know, the penalty kicks in after the exclusion amount. There is criteria uh, which you know you can use. Uh, also, if you move, let's say that you have relocation due to health or for you know employment purposes, again, you know you might not be subject to penalty on a portion of it. So, so if you take um, let's say fifteen thousand out for your first time home purchase, you don't have to pay that back. You don't have to pay penalty. I believe the exclusion. I'm not sure if it's ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars, but you do have to pay tax on it. Okay, so you pull it out. You don't pay a t- penalty, but you have to pay tax on the income, Correct. treating it as income. Correct. Um, but you don't have to return the loan. So it's not a loan from the 401k. You're just pulling it out completely. You're just pulling it out and just paying tax on it and penalty. You know. And you can only do that one time for your first home purchase? I would have to check what they consider, you know, first, you know, assuming that, you know, you buy it and how long you stay there and you sell it. And then again, you know, I'm not sure what the time frame, you know, if, uh, if you rebuy a house within a certain period because you sold the prior one then you might be able to take advantage again. But I'm not sure if there is uh, how long you'd have to wait for that option. Elton, I just got to say, sometimes I think these things are scams because <laughs> it's like we have a retirement account and the goal is that you don't touch it till you're old. And then we give exclusions for like buying a home, which I get, but I'm also like, that sort of defeats the purpose. Right. Well, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, people do need access to 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 funds in order to finance certain things. And over time, you know, the Congress and, and, and the Treasury, just because, you know, these things happen so often, you know, they try to, to change. So, you know, they come up with these ideas. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just more a convenient thing and, you know, changing as things come. Oh, you're so positive. Um, all right. So I know the IRA, there's a Roth option. Do the simple and the individual and the SEP all have Roth options as well? Uh, you can contribute to the Roth IRA in conjunction with these options simple ira i don't believe it has a a, a rough option i would have to check on the other plans i when i had my individual 401k it i made i opened up a roth version yeah that's that's i mean as i said the roths are a great option you know especially in your if you're on a lower tax bracket and uh just because it grows tax-free and you can take the money out tax-free when you retire so uh, i always advise people to to if they can if it makes sense for a particular year to contribute to a roth option so if you're just starting out, so say you're, um, I'll use myself as an example, sort of going back 13 years, I'm getting out of college, I'm going to be freelancing, what would be the best account to open up while you're in college, right before you get out or right as you get out and you start working, presuming you're going to be a freelancer like I, I am? I would say uh, definitely start off with the rough option. And, you know, obviously, if you're self-employed, I would also open up uh, either individual 401k or SEP IRA. Just, you know, because obviously there is no, uh, there might be small administrative fees to keep them open, but there is no penalty for having such plans. There's not a lot of paperwork to keep them open. So just to have them as an option in case you have a good year and you want to defer some of the income and take the tax deduction, 
I think uh, there'll be uh, those would be uh, great accounts to have as well. So, so when I started out, I just had a Roth IRA and there was no fees involved with that. But then when I opened up my individual 401k, I had to pay $45 every quarter, I think, to keep it open. So, so you're sort of suggesting just open up the individual 401k and pay that $45 a quarter if you can, because it has higher contribution limits and you'll just be set for a while. Correct. And, you know, obviously, and, you know, at some point you can add the, just a regular SEP IRA in case you had employees or whatever, you know, you might not be eligible anymore for the individual 401k. Uh, some of these accounts, they depending on which uh, uh, brokerage account you go with, you know, they do have fees and, you know, uh, basically you would have to do a comparison and make sure what makes sense. But these are great options to have uh, for retirement and different, different income purposes. And I know you're not a freelancer, but I think you're a business owner with Lolage CPA Group. And you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but what retirement accounts do you yourself have? I do have a 401k with my old employer and we do have a 401k in here. I cannot have an individual 401k, but, you know, we do have a 401k at work and, uh, you know, I try to, to, to you know, to, to maximize the contribution every year. My wife has a 401k and 403b. She works for a nonprofit at her uh, job. And, you know, we try to do the same thing. And I would advise people, obviously, I mean, you know, not everybody can defer as as much as they they would like, but you know it's 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 a great tool. It's great for investment purposes, for budgeting, for for diversification. So uh, I always tell people try to to put away as much as you can, budget properly, and try to save as much as you can. Did I miss any accounts that we should be aware of? Like, are there any accounts out there for freelancers or self employed um, that we should know about? There is uh, some other accounts. One of them is a, a defined contribution plan. Uh, which typically, in case you know you have a fantastic year, uh, you are able to put away and you know defined contribution plans. They typically make sense for somebody over the age of let's say forty, and they can put away. And defined contribution plan, the way that they calculate the contribution, it's based on the income and your retirement age. So let's say that you set a retirement age of let's say fifty and you are 40 years old, and then during these 10 years, you have to put away this much amount of income in order for you to retire at this age. So the contribution limits for defined contribution plans are much higher compared to a SEP IRA or to the other plans or individual 401k. So it definitely makes sense in case you are over a certain age and uh, you're trying to, or you know, for whatever reason, you haven't, be, you haven't been able to put away a lot of money in the past. So this is a great tool for you to kind of try to catch up with those contributions. Okay. And would that be on top of all these other things or would this sort of be the separate only thing you do? These kind of plans, you know, you might be able to combine, but with a defined benefit plan on its own, uh, I believe you might be able to put away as much as like 200 or 250. I would have to check the amount. So uh, in case you have a, a great year, this is a great tool for you to to defer a lot of the income, minimize the tax liability, and uh, it's yeah, it's 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 a fantastic plan. Okay, so that's something you would set up if you have some awesome years with more than sixty one thousand dollars that you want to save. Correct. Okay. All right. Uh, if there are any listeners who have a defined contribution plan that they made, I'm curious because that's awesome. <laughs> we, I mean, uh, I've had clients that you know we've opened up defined benefit plans for. You know, we've done it for some attorneys just because you know. You know, typically they could have, you know, some great tiers or some, you know, doctors or so. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, these kind of plans are very common. Yeah. Yeah. 
for doctors and lawyers. <laughs> um, well, actually, you did bring up something that I forgot about ask about. So let me ask you now. Catch-up contributions. So for all these accounts, do all these have options for catch-up catch contributions? They do have all, so all these accounts with the traditional IRA. I believe is uh, you can contribute an additional $1,000 if you are above the age of 50. And with uh, simple plans, I believe it's $3,000. And with, I do have a, a table in here that, you know, uh, we keep just in case uh, we need to look up something. Uh, with the 401k, I believe is 6000 And I would have to check what it is for the uh, SEP IRA. But all of them, they do have, they do have catch-up components. It's 6500 for the 401k. So if you are above the age of 50, then you can contribute additional amounts to this plan. In case you don't want to open up a defined contribution plan to catch up. Correct. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to catch up. Amazing. All right, Elton, thank you so much for explaining all those. Uh, because again, I always say Roth IRA, open up a Roth IRA. But maybe I need to change that to open up an individual Roth 401k. Because maybe that's a better thing for people to start in so that they don't have to then open up another account later. They can just have that one from the beginning. Interrupting the show to mention our Patreon page. If you're enjoying the show, please become a patron of Artistic Finance. Patrons get a private podcast feed with bonus episodes and early releases of the episodes. Now, the way Patreon is set up, patrons make a monthly pledge. And for Artistic Finance, those pledges start as low as $3 a month. If you use the euro, that's three euros a month. In England and Scotland, it's three British pounds a month. And for our neighbors up in Canada, that is four Canadian dollars each month. Patreon recently changed their rules to allow for annual giving. So we have an option to save 6% if you sign up for an annual payment schedule. This show is free, and of course, that is intentional, as I want as many freelancers improving their finances as possible. But there's a lot of time and money that goes into keeping this show on the air. Patrons help cover some of those operating costs, and they make me feel a little better about taking all this time to edit, upload, and run the social media. So to patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. And I want to call out two patrons today who have just passed their one-year anniversary of supporting us, Carl Faber and Thor Tivol. Now, Thor didn't want to be mentioned, but I just did. So sorry, Thor, but thank you for being a patron. Carl was our guest back on episode 100, and he'll be back on the show a couple times this year. More details about that will be coming up soon. I'd also like to thank Carl for upping his pledge that came out of the blue, and I must say it was a wonderful notification to receive. So Carl and Thor, thank you for being patrons and for crossing into the long-time patron status. Now, if you, wonderful listener, would like to be a part of our group of patrons, I'd love to have you. The one and only place to join up is patreon.com slash artisticfinance. And now, back to the show. All right, so I'm going to move on to us talking about LLCs and corporations, things like that. So now um, I have a single member LLC, but I don't use it. And every year I include it in our tax information and I send it to you. And as far as I know, I think it's just ignored because I don't run any income through it. I used it one year and then I never used it after that. 
And before you, Elton, believe it or not, we had a different accountant and they just said, well, it's a pass through entity. And so when I sort of learned that, I thought, well, I, like, well, I don't really need it as far as I know. So I just haven't used it <laughs> um, because because I'm not making so much money through it that uh, I guess I need to be organized enough for that. So if I were going to go back in time myself, I probably just wouldn't have opened a, that account and I would just act as a sole proprietor, which is, I think, what I do. So a uh, question for you, Elton, which is, should I be using that LLC? Uh, I mean, I do like LLCs just because, you know, they are a great option and they give you some flexibility in case, you know, uh, your income grows to a certain level. And obviously, you know, if you use, if you work with uh, uh, certain clients and they might require you, you to have some kind of a company set up in order for you to get paid through them. Uh, so I'm not necessarily against uh, LLCs. Uh, but as you said, you don't necessarily need it. If you are self-employed, you can basically work under your name and with your social security number. You could, you could work under your name and get a tax ID number for the business. So LLCs, you know, are a, a great option, you know, if, if, you know, if you might have exposure, liability exposure through your business and you want to limit that exposure and protect your assets. If you have opened it up, I would say uh, just because the cost of keeping it, it's uh, almost non-existent other than if you have a bank account and you're, you're running uh, bank charges to that, or if you are in New York state and, you know, there might be biennial fees to file with New York State or, uh, you know, with LLCs in New York State, there is a annual filing fee, which single member LLCs are exempt from. The, the fees are very low. So if you have opened it up, I'll keep it just in case you either start a new business in case, you know, you, you could change the name of the LLC or do, uh, you know, a certificate of some name to get, to, do, to get a DBA or uh, just use it for the existing business. Okay. All right. So it's not harming anything. It's not harming anything. And if I were to start using it more, um, our other accountant said it was a pass-through entity. So what does that mean? So a pass-through entity is either an LLC, uh, and this could be which could be treated as an S-corp or a single-member LLC or a partnership, or an S-corp or a partnership. And this kind of uh, entities, they don't pay tax on federal or state level. On the federal level, they don't pay at all. On the state level, they might be just annual filing fees, but not necessarily tax. For that reason, they are considered pass-through entities because they pass through the income or the losses to the owners who then claim it on their personal taxes. Now, somebody recently chatted with me because they want to open up a shop where they build things and then sell them to shows or have shows come to them and then they build all the things for the show. They were asking me about it. And I said, from my experience, I said, I would just start working as a sole proprietor um, and building those things and selling them. And then if the business got more and more, then open up an entity. Would you agree or disagree with what I said? I mean, as, 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 as you said, you know, having, uh, working under a DBA on the, under your name is, you know, is simple and convenient. But as I said, in case you have liability exposure for whatever reason, you know, or your employer or your clients do ask for you to have either liability or, you know, a vehicle to get paid through. And some of these entities in the arts field, they do ask for, you know, uh, individuals to have either a pass-through, you know, S-Corp or an LLC to get paid. Then, you know, I would consider, you know, uh, setting up either an S-Corp or an LLC. Yeah. So if somebody's going to get hurt while they're building something and you want the liability protection, then it would be open up the LLC, get liability insurance. Correct. 
So you have it and then you can also use it. Correct. I know this is sort of an open-ended question, but it's like, what are the options? Because you've said S-Corp and LLC, and those those are like indi- like an individual can open those up? Correct. So basically you could set up an, uh, so with S-Corp, you typically start off with setting up the corporation with the state, you know, filing the articles of incorporation with whatever state you'd like to set it up with. And then you make the election to be treated as an S-Corp for tax purposes. And what that allows you to do is, uh, it's considered the pass-through, so it doesn't pay taxes, again, on the federal or state level, and it passes through the income to you as an individual to pay taxes on that income. LLCs are the same way. The only difference is that if you are a single-member LLC, the LLC itself does not have to do a separate business tax return filing, similar to the S-Corp. However, you can pick up the income and show the report the activity of the LLC on your personal income tax return, Schedule C, similar to what you do if you are self-employed and don't have an LLC. So if you have an S-Corp, an LLC, or a sole, you're just doing business as yourself, is pretty much the taxes are all the same? Correct, except that if you're a single-member LLC, you don't have to file a separate business tax return with an S-Corp or with a multi-member LLC. You do have to file a separate tax return for the business, and then the businesses, they do issue what's called a K-1 at the end of the year, to the owners who then they pick up that income or losses on their personal tax returns. The other option would be to have a regular C-Corp, in which case the corporation pays the taxes on the federal, state, and local level uh, itself. You know, the federal income tax rate for C-Corps is 21%, and then state and local rates, they they vary by state. C-Corps could be a, a good option uh, in case you intend to bring in investors or, you know, for whatever reason. However, the issue with C-Corps, you know, it, is that, you know, there might be double taxation when you take out dividends and the rates, they might be higher compared to S-Corps or LLCs depending on certain factors. So you'd have to talk to your advisor to make sure what option makes, uh, makes sense for you. Well, I guess tax-wise and money-wise, the difference between the S-Corp, the LLC, and the C-Corp is that LLC and S-Corp, you, it's not that you're paying less taxes, but you're, you're passing them through. You're picking up the income, or they're passing through to you individually. And C-Corps, you know, is typically to, let's say, you know, big corporations, Microsoft, Apple, whatever. So they pay taxes, them, the corporation pays taxes themselves. And then there is a dividend uh, distribution, you know, or, you know, the, the, the owners typically, they get paid through salary or, you know, as I said, dividends in case there is dividend distribution uh, quarterly or at the end of the year through the C-Corp. And also with the multi-member LLC, so say you and somebody else want to go in together for this business, that's pretty easy tax-wise too, because you just each get a document from the LLC saying this is your portion. Correct. So you, you get issued the K-1 at the end of the year, similar to the S-Corp, and then you report that K-1 income or loss on your individual income tax return and then pay taxes on that income or not if there is a loss. Got it. So my single member LLC that I don't file taxes for because it just passes through, if I had an S-Corp, that would be the same situation. It would just pass through? Correct. Except that with the you know, S-Corp, the business does have to do its own separate filing. With a single single member LLC, you don't have to do a separate business filing. However, you do have to file a Schedule C for informational purposes, which you do, and you know you, you, we basically report that as as a statement on your tax return. Okay, all right. So I'm taking away the easiest taxes is through a single member LLC. Correct. It's a great option. You know, uh, typically, you know, uh, with even with LLCs, you know, or single member LLCs, 
we do have the option to elect for LLCs to be treated as an S corporation for tax purposes. So while you get the benefit of the setting up the LLC and whatever comes with it, then you can elect for tax purposes to be treated as an S corp. The benefit to that, and you know, we've been doing this quite often for a lot of clients, is that if you are a single member LLC, and let's say that you know you do have uh, a legit business, you know, with generating income with uh, a single member LLC, if you report that on your individual income tax return on Schedule C, you do have to pay self-employment tax on the full income, net income from the business. However, if you do have, if you make the election for the single member LLC to be, to be treated as an S corp for the owners, they do take out a salary on, and you know, this has to be a fair market value salary for whatever profession that they're in. And then they, they pay social security tax on that. And uh, they pay only regular income tax on the net income from the business. So if uh, a single member LLC has a great year, uh, making the S corp election might make sense because you do save some money, you know, through the social security tax. And if you make that S corp election, can you switch back the next year to just be taxed as an LLC? You would have to no. So basically, I think there is a, there is a, you know you'd have to wait. I'm not sure if it's three years or five years to in order to to, to revert back to 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 either a, a single member LLC or a partnership or a C corp. So so again, going back to somebody getting out of college to do what I did. Um, and start freelancing. Do you think people should be opening up LLCs just for reasons for the flexibility of it before they understand their finances and their income? I don't necessarily advise setting up an LLC right away. I'll, as you said, maybe start off with just doing a DBA, and you can do you can set up a DBA at your county clerk's office, you know, and register the name of the business as you'd like, and then maybe ta- get a tax ID number, and then you know grow the business and get some experience through that. And then at some point, if it makes sense and the business is growing and, you know, you, you're generating income and, you know, you can set up the LLC or the S-Corp at that point. So now completely selfish question. <laughs> so for artistic finance this year, we have made some income. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, wait, sorry. That's, we made, we made some gross income. Not Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just going to use a real number. Um, but we got $7,500. And now I've spent more than that. And I keep track of it all, even though artistic finance and my finances are the same thing. But I have this LLC. I was thinking about changing the name of the LLC to artistic finance, even though artistic finance still, even with that $7,500, is still losing money. But should I change the name so I can like deduct all my expenses? Or should I just keep everything as is and just deduct as I normally do in my own taxes? Uh, assuming these are legit, legit expenses, which I'm sure they are. Oh, Elton, I'm offended yeah. <laughs> you even asked. I'm offended. <laughs> if, the, if the IRS is listening. No, I said I'm sure they are. Uh, <laughs> but you can deduct them through, uh, you, can, you don't need to run the income through the LLC in order to deduct them. As far as changing the name of your uh, DBA to the LLC, you might have some issue with that. And this is a more of a legal issue because... Uh, the name it includes finance, and you know, with in New York State at the least, you have to go through the Department of uh, Professions to get permission to to use that name in the LLC. So that's something uh, an issue that you might run into. But yeah, I mean, you could you could definitely do that. You know, if not, you can just do what's called the certificate of assumed name or certificate of uh, uh, of name change, and 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 file it with the state. And you know, it typically takes. Uh, 
five to seven business days. And, you know, it, that's, it's very, very easy. Okay. Well, you've scared me off saying I have to go through another <laughs> hoop. Just because the name includes, you know, for some names, you know, and, and phrases, you have to go through the Department of Professions. Okay. So if I change the LLC name, it'll, it'll, the LLC will become like artistic entertainment or something. Something like that. They'll, they'll allow that. <laughs> um, okay. So now I want to tackle a couple of tax prep myths. And you might not even know these were myths, but me in the entertainment industry, we throw uh, advice around all the time at the tech table, et cetera. I hear some of it and I think it's wrong. Um, so I just want you to either confirm that I'm correct or correct me and say that I'm wrong. Um, just because I say this enough on the podcast, so maybe you can clarify. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so one thing I say is that a lot of artists and freelancers don't need to worry about getting an art-focused tax professional because taxes and deductions are pretty much the same regardless of what your profession is. And like in the arts, we may deduct like artsy things. And maybe if we go see a Broadway show or something, we could deduct that. And that's different than a lot of other deductions. When it comes to tax time, it's really like those deductions and an accountant just looks at that and says, okay, yeah, that's a deduction. And we put it in this deduction slot. So do you agree or disagree that I could use pretty much any accountant, whether they know entertainment or not? I agree. I mean, uh, I would say uh, I would agree with that. Uh, however, over the years, I have seen some accountants work, you know, who we have clients who come from other accountants and not to put them down or whatever, but it's just that, you know, the work that they did is very poor. So uh, I would say choose smartly. Obviously, there's a lot of professionals out there. Uh, as long as you use somebody that is has enough experience and knowledge and, you know, hopefully comes recommended, I would go with that. But as you said, as long as, I mean, the expenses are what they are. Just make sure that you provide your accountant or your uh, a trusted professional with your legitimate expenses and then, you know, have a, a discussion with them before you file the return. They file the return to make sure that what you have and everything looks correct. But typically you could go with, you know, as long as it's somebody that is educated and you know, has enough experience, uh, you know, yeah, I don't see a problem with that. Okay. Okay. All right. So I almost heard in there a little bit of maybe we should try to find entertainment professionals. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I mean, there is obviously, you know, in, in every profession, there is, you know, even accounting or whatever, there is a, there is a certain professional that specialize within a certain industry. There is accountants that specialize into uh, working with uh, individuals that work in, you know, with uh, airplane pilots uh, or, you know, expats or, you know, so there is, I mean, you know, the, within the industry, there is professionals that specialize and obviously you know sometimes it makes sense to use them because they have more exposure more knowledge you know they've seen a few more things so but a lot of times the expenses are what they are and unless you have a year in which you might need some guidance which is very specific you know just make sure that the individual that you are working with uh, has knowledge and experience and and uh, yeah okay so i'm going to amend my thoughts and say that for most people any accountant will do or TurboTax or something like that. But if you get pushback, if you get confused, or if you're going to start a business that's in entertainment, then you should really seek an entertainment professional. I think so. And also for, you know, as far as using TurboTax or other softwares and doing it yourself, I think those are great options. If you're a wage earner and you have, let's say, you know, some uh, investment income, interest, dividends, and maybe some uh, uh, year-end brokerage 1099 statement, 
typically, if you are self-employed, I think you'd, a lot of times you'd probably need guidance from a professional just because the tax law is not very clear on a lot of issues. And it makes sense to consult somebody who has more experience and, and, and does this. All right. So here's another myth that hopefully you dispel and or correct me, <laughs> which is about deductions and standard deductions. So the question is really, do we need to be saving our receipts? Because Nicole and me, uh, as an example, so I have like 50-50 W-2 versus 1099. Nicole is all W-2. And I think when you reviewed the taxes with us for 2021, um, that we had the standard deduction listed. Now, if we're doing the standard deduction, I have been keeping all of my receipts and I make a document where I track like all the expenses and I put them in what deduction they go in. And I also keep track of like how much we donate to charity and our medical bills. My question is, if we're doing the standard deduction, do I need to even be doing that chart? I mean, uh, nowadays with a new tax law, which came in effect in 2018, which which, uh, raised the standard deduction uh, limit to, you know, 20,000 and change for married filing jointly uh, uh, families, uh, unless they have a mortgage or they have a lot of medical expenses in a specific year, is most likely they won't be able to itemize. And by itemize, I mean, the government gives you the option of taking the standard deduction, which for an individual is, and it gets indexed every year, let's say 12,800. And for a family of uh, married filing joint, it's 25,600. Or you can, as I said, use the itemized deductions, which is uh, as different components. And uh, uh, these components are medical deductions, mortgage, child contributions, and then uh, state and local income taxes and real estate taxes if you own a house. That component, uh, specifically state, local, and real estate taxes is limited to $10,000, no matter how much you pay. So unless all these components combined add up to more than the standard deduction, you won't be able to take advantage of that. So in a lot of cases, a family that doesn't now own a house and doesn't pay mortgage interest, chances are that unless they have a lot of medical expenses or they do large contributions to charities, they won't be able to itemize, in which case, as you said, it does not make sense to keep track of those receipts. But again, you know, uh, with medical expenses, it's not something that you can predict, you know, something could happen. So I would say my advice, if you have a a large expense over $1,000, I'll keep track of that, I'll keep a receipt for that. And then at the end of the year, you know, you can decide whether to use it or not. Just to be on the same side. Oh man, Elton, I should should have talked to you five years ago, Elton. (laughs) Okay, so so here I am making my list. But as you said, most likely, chances are that you won't be unless you know, as I said, you own a house, you won't be able to itemize. In which case, it does not make sense, you know, unless you have a lot of medical expenses. Again, there is an unless with tax law. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For joint filers, again, what was the standard deduction for 2022? uh, It was. 25,100, I believe, for 2021, 25,600 for, I would have to check for 2022 because it, it gets indexed every year. Okay. But so roughly 22,000. So 26,000. Oh, 26,000. 26,000. So if, you, if you're going to have expenses less than 26,000, don't even bother saving receipts. Correct. And even with medical expenses, there is another calculation that goes in that, you know, you can deduct up to a certain level, above a certain level of the adjusted gross income. In which case, you know, uh, again, you kind of are limited on how much uh, you'd be able to to deduct at the end of the year. So, uh, but you know, sometimes individuals and 
uh, especially with self-employed individuals, they might have, in case they don't have a medical plan, they might have a lot of medical deductions, or they might have a high-paying uh, health insurance plan. In which case, you know, you know, this, this, I mean, this cost, medical cost, they, they, they tend to add up very quick. So, you know, uh, it depends on, 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 on every case. No, but this is a game changer for me because I'm not up to date in my spreadsheet going through my receipts. Now I'm just going to only, now I'm going to change your advice a little bit. I think if I spend 500 or more on something, then I'll, then I'll keep track of the receipt, but like all my meals, all my out of town, like stuff like that, like all the little things that maybe it totals to like 250 or something, but it involves 20 receipts. I'm not even going to worry about that anymore. The, that advice was uh, specifically for, you know, itemized deductions. For business deductions, that's different because, you know, uh, we do have, I mean, you would have to, you do have to keep track of the expenses and then make sure that nowadays, you know, with with a lot of softwares and a lot of credit cards, you know, they do upload a copy of the di- digital receipt uh, in there uh, online, you'd be able to find it online or through the statements. You'd have to look at the credit card or whatever you are using. You don't necessarily need to cap to keep track of each receipt, but I would say if it's something like a computer or whatever or equipment, definitely keep track of those. For meals, I'd keep track of the receipts and make sure that you put the date and the person that you had the meal with. For small office supplies and stuff like that, maybe just keep track of you know of the expenditures in the credit card statement and you know at the end of the year you can look at the year end summary and highlight whatever you used for the business i'd make sure that you review your expenses thoroughly at the end of the year and then you provide your accountant with a thorough list and then make sure that uh, and then you know you can make the decision on what's deductible and not depending on the conversation that he has with you but i'll try to keep track of the expenses specifically the business expenses uh, for a period of time Darn it. I thought you were telling me I didn't have to. Don't no, do that. no, that was for the business expenses. Is, 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 is a different issue. Man, I got you. You have no idea how excited I got there. I was yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, so I will continue keeping track like I've done. And I know, like in the document I send you, I keep track of Nicole's stuff, which is not deductible, but I guess her medical and some of that stuff is. Um, and then I keep track of my stuff, which involves all those receipts you do do a great job and you do make our job easier at the end of the year so uh, I'm, I'm i'm very happy with how you present the information to us all right thank you <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad to hear that because the account we had before you emailed me once and he said i wish all our clients would be as organized as you and i was i like was so proud i share the same opinion <laughs> <laughs> amazing um all right. And just one more clarification about those standard deductions. So the 26,000 roughly uh, for joint filers or 12,800 for single filers, there was a 10,000 limit for like mortgage and medical. So the 10,000 limit, no, that's for state, local and real estate taxes. Oh, okay. Okay. So basically if you, let's say that you had $12,000 withholding through your W2, you know, between a state and let's say New York City, if you're living in the city, then that's capped at $10,000. And if you paid on top of that an additional, let's say, you know, $7,000 in real estate tax, again, you can only deduct $10,000. So so if I'm an individual and I take the standard 12800 but I'm in New York, New York says, well, you can only deduct 10000 so you still have to pay, you can't deduct that extra 2800 So on the standard deduction calculation, whether to use the standard deduction or the itemized deduction, as I said, there is four components, the medical, uh, state, local income taxes, real estate taxes, the mortgage interest deduction and the charities. So that component specifically for the state and local, it's capped at $10,000. 
Okay. I don't really know what we're talking about anymore, but I'm just going to agree with It's you a little bit confusing, but chances are that if you don't have, as I said, you know, to make it simple, if you don't have a level of medical or if you don't have, if you don't own a house, uh, chances are that most likely you'll uh, uh, use a standard deduction. Okay. Amazing. All right. Elton, thank you so much for clarifying that LLC S Corp stuff and, and these taxes. Um, is there anything about that that you wanted to mention before we wrap up? If you have an LLC, I'll talk to your accountant to see whether it makes sense to make the election for an, for an S Corp. Just because, you know, then, you know, this depends on each situation, but it might make sense to, to switch to an S Corp because you might be able to realize some tax savings through that election. Uh, otherwise, uh, uh, LLCs are a great vehicle. You know, there's a lot of flexibility. If you have a partner, if you have a partner down the road, uh, specifically with, you know, the equity, profit sharing, loss sharing allocations. So I do like LLCs a lot. Uh, yeah. So the, All right. Big LLC fan here. Elton Alage loves LLCs. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, so now um, just wrapping up here um, regarding retirement, what advice could you give a freelancer who's just starting out right now? For retirement plans, I would uh, advise them to, to set up a Roth IRA and try to maximize it every year. Uh, while they are in the lower income tax bracket, and then uh, also have some kind of a either a SEP IRA or individual 401k, if it makes sense for them to contribute, to be able to contribute money through the business. All right. Just for fun, I've never asked anybody this question, but I'm just curious. Do you listen to other podcasts? And if so, like what's one of your favorites? <laughs> we have just, we have been so busy with work with the deadlines and I haven't been able to really catch up on any podcasts, but I'm a fan of yours. <laughs> So, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll be listening more to to your podcast. And I do appreciate, you know, what you do for the community. And it's, I think it's a great show. And I wanted to ask you, how did you come up with this idea? Because it's a good question. And I think we answered it today, which is like, anytime I'm confused or looking for advice, or even that standard deduction question I just asked, I hear people saying things like, save your receipts. And I remember the first year I sat down to do my taxes, I was going through the receipts and I was reading the rules, you know, I'm Googling like, is this deductible? Is this? And I'm realizing that a lot of the things I saved receipts for like clothing are not deductible. As far as I know, like if it's a uniform, it's deductible. Correct. So basically with clothing, it cannot be something that you can use in your regular day to day. Even I guess if you, you wear show blacks for a call, maybe that could be deductible. But even those technically you could wear elsewhere. So. Yeah, so it's very specific. Basically, that's to be something that you need to use outside of the workplace. So anyway, so I learned that that my first year and I was like, Oh, wow, I just learned so much. But I had heard that advice so many times. So anyway, th that confusion and like what I heard is why I started this so that people can talk about it and sort of we can all learn together, like what are good practices and not, et cetera. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's a great idea. About 10 years ago, uh, we did work with a producer who, uh, you know, she was doing a lot of events. And one event that she did was she held a seminar with the people in the creative industry. And she invited our firm at the time to do a presentation on uh, a lot of tax topics. And it was a, a lot of people participated. And at the time, I kind of realized that, you know, people in the creative industry are very good at what they do. And, you know, but, you know, sometimes they do lack the exposure and they do have a lot of questions about these issues. So, yeah, I think it's a great thing what you're doing and kind of educating a lot of people in the uh, creative artistic industry. And the other thing is like not everybody can listen to all of our episodes and obviously we don't cover all the topics. Like there's so many topics that I just have a list of things like I still want to do episodes on. 
But one thing is that people email and ask questions. And while I may not have the answer, I can usually like hand them off to somebody that does. So I've, I've sort of like created a little hub where people can get their answers. That's, that's fantastic. It's a great thing. And feel free to use me as a resource for any questions that people might have. Uh, we are here. Our office is open all year round. Uh, as I said, we do lo- work with a lot of individuals in the creative industry, media industry, a lot of companies in post-production, pre-production. We are very proud of, uh, of that. All right. So I'll put a link to Elton's uh, website and your LinkedIn in the show notes. And also in the show notes, because we talked about accountants and how maybe people should get accountants that specialize in arts, I'll put a list of accountants, at least in New York City, that specialize in artist taxes, um, which will include Elton's website. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. Elton, thank you so much. This was a blast and I learned a a ton. Uh, So thank you. My pleasure. And thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are start off as a DBA rather than opening up an LLC. Also, the cost of keeping a single member LLC open is next to nothing and provides flexibility if your income fluctuates or grows. One of the reasons why single member LLCs are popular is because there is no additional tax forms that have to be filed each year. Once you cross into multi-member, that changes. I once got a quote for a multi-member LLC tax filing from an accountant, and that was 2500 Even if you can get that for less, it's still an additional cost that a single-member LLC doesn't have. Now, I haven't checked with Elton, but that's just my warning. If you decide to incorporate, avoid multi-member, even if you're married, because the taxes get more complicated, aka you'll have to hire an accountant. S-Corps, C-Corps, and multi-member LLCs require additional tax filings, and they issue K-1s to the owners and the partners. Now, C-Corps are good if you intend to bring in investors later on. S-Corps pass through income, but they do require a separate tax filing. Single-member LLCs can elect to file taxes as S-Corps. The reason you would do that is to save money on Social Security tax. Something doesn't sound quite right there to me, but I'm sure it makes sense if you look into it. The long and short of this is consult a tax or legal professionals when deciding to incorporate. The single member LLC is the easiest, and that's why many people do that, but every situation is different, so ask a professional before deciding. To bring it back to retirement, my takeaway was that a Roth IRA is the easiest and quickest to open up, so it should be the first retirement account that gets opened, and after that, the next step would be an individual 401k as it gives the most flexibility. Though it comes with annual operating costs, they're not a lot, but they are something. And a SEP IRA is similarly as easy to open as a Roth IRA, but it doesn't allow as much flexibility, aka as high of limits as an individual 401k. All right, that's it for this episode. Did you learn something or is there something we forgot to mention? If so, please email me and let me know. My email is artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. And so far, I have answered every email that's been sent to me. If you're enjoying the show, please become a patron of Artistic Finance. I won't go into the details again, but know that I wildly appreciate the 29 patrons who support this show. I'd love to have you join our ranks. If you'd like to lend financial support, the place to sign up is patreon.com slash artisticfinance. 
If you're not ready to lend financial support, I'm still really glad you're here because your presence alone is bringing value to the other industry professionals who are here for these interviews and to learn about the business side of the business. There are also a couple free ways to lend your support to artistic finance. One way is to pay the fee for listening, and that fee is to tell somebody about the show. If you happen to have access to one of the signs in Times Square and can accidentally put up the Artistic Finance logo, that would be a great way to do it. But any post, any mention, or link sharing that you do is much appreciated. And the other thing you can do is to email me and let me know that you're listening. You can do that by emailing artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. And remember, if you ever want any access to the outtakes from any of the episodes, go ahead and ask me for them. I create outtakes as bonus material for patrons, but I'm happy to provide them to anybody, even if you're not a patron. Thank you again for a wonderful 2022. We had 10,000 downloads this year and listeners in 63 countries. Now, our most listeners come from the USA, the UK, and Canada. Now, we don't have any patrons from Canada, so if you happen to be listening from that great country and you're feeling in the holiday spirit, please become our first patron from Canada. And speaking of out of the country, Catherine, my Navy sister, and Jason and Daniel, those Army vets, thank you for being you and doing what you do. I love you and I miss you. Now, dear listener, wherever you're joining us from, happy holidays and the happiest of new years. I hope the best for you in 2023. And if there's anything that I can do to help you succeed or make your life better, please reach out to me or any of our guests. Now, in this industry, we're all in it together. So whether you're lighting or video costumes or you're a performer, it doesn't matter. We face the same challenges and we can help each other out. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.